us and uh, looking forward to see what God's going to do and excited to see this. I guess this side of the room has uh, got something wrong with it because this side is completely full and that side is not, but that's okay. We'll balance those things out as we continue to go. Um, I'll tell you, last night, it's funny, um, I was really, really nervous. Um, not quite sure what to expect. We've been planning this for, well, since about June is really when it started to take effect to, to come into here and started to figure out how we could possibly make it happen and, and what it was going to look like. And now that it's finally here, it was kind of like, okay, we went from one service where everybody was all together breaking up into three groups and how are we going to make all of this work? And, um, you know, we don't want the disconnect, but this also gives us an opportunity to connect with a, a smaller group of people. Um, so how are we going to make all this work? And it, I guess just playing this weekend out and seeing it all unfold was, was one of the things that I was – Pretty, pretty nervous about, pretty worried about, but also at the same time pretty excited about. And so um, last night, Christy told me, I said, well, give me just one, one feedback on what you talk, because you talk really fast. So if I start to, just kind of give me one of those, because I got really excited last night, and uh, um, hopefully I don't do it again this morning in that area. But like I said, it's our first service. Looking forward to see what God's going to do. And some people were asking, hey, what are we going to do to make sure that the church all stays together so we don't become three separate churches a Saturday night and two different Sunday mornings and um, we're going to try and make sure to be very intentional about having large group activities last week we were supposed to have a baptism the weather got it canceled so what we're going to do is we're moving it to the 15th you see that in your bulletins on the 15th and it's gonna be the whole church coming together I'll be able to celebrate those baptisms as a matter of fact last week um, we did still do a a small baptism over at the days in um, Anthony Diaz uh, his parents had driven all the way in from Texas when we canceled it, and they had this look of disappointment on their face. And I said, hey, if you can set up a pool for us to do it in, I said, I'd be happy to do it. And we had a couple of families gather together and see that. We got it on video. It'll be thrown up on the website here shortly. But um, it, was, uh, it was an exciting time. But we're going to have uh, all the rest of the baptisms be on the 15th. So make sure you mark your calendar for that. Uh, for the past 10 weeks, we have been in the Gospels. We're looking at them chronologically. And we're going through them. And literally, we started in the beginning. With Jesus in the beginning, and we're moving forward and moving, moving on through it, and we've made it to John chapter 3. Now, I had this great idea. I kind of laid out my whole sermon series, and I said, oh, John 3.16 would be a great opportunity to do a Christmas sermon through all that, and we'll do that and go through John 3.16, and we'll start it on this weekend. And as I was preparing, and as I was reading through and figuring out how I was going to do it all, I felt like I was skipping what leads up to John 3.16, and that is John 3, 1 through 15. And many people... They don't really think about that much. But the more I read it, the more I saw it, I said, you know, we can't just skim over that. We can't just skip that altogether. We need to make sure that we, we get into that. So we're going to, um, as we, we'll still do the John 3.16 through Christmas. And uh, the plan is right now to, to do a Christmas service. We haven't fully lined that up yet, but to do either maybe one or two Christmas services on Christmas Day. Not do a Christmas Eve one, but do one on Christmas Day. And um, so... As we do that, what I'd like to do, though, is take a look at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. So if you do me a favor and uh, open up your Bibles to that, it should be up here on the screens as well. So um, let's, uh, let's do that, and then we'll, we'll pray. It says here in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but, you st- but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for who you are. We are thankful for all the things that you do. And God, we look at this story of Nicodemus. We look at the questions that he has. And the same questions that, that God, that, that we have had at some point in time in our lives and other other people have had, and maybe our neighbors even have. So as we look at this passage, God, open our hearts and open our minds to A, how it affects us, and B, how it affects others, and how we can use it to reach others for your glory. We pray in all your names this morning, Lord. Amen. See, I was thinking about skimming over this, and, and obviously I don't want to do that, and here's why. Um, and, and by the way, uh, with the fact that we're going to have uh, so the younger kids in here with us, I'm not trying to, to dumb it down and make some of you go, oh, why is he explaining that so simply? I want to make sure that everybody understands. So um, with, with the little kids in here, I'm going to kind of have some crowd participation, ask some questions, um, be kind of, this actually kind of feels like a classroom type setting more than it did over there at the school, of all funny things, that it feels like more of a classroom setting outside of the school. But um, to be able to, to have some interaction with them, keep them interested in it, and uh, we will be starting up a, a children's thing on Sunday nights uh, starting in January. So, um, But with them in here, I want to to explain some things uh, every time we get up. There's a group of people called the Pharisees. Many of you probably have heard of who the Pharisees are. You've met them before um, through Scripture, through reading them. You've heard about them. But they're really, really good people. That's basically what they did. They were first century good people. If you met a Pharisee walking down the road and you ask him what his job was, his job would be to be good. That's it. That's what he did. He, He was there to be good. He was the best of the best, they, they did everything the way they were supposed to. And basically, their thought process was that if God were to speak, they would be the first ones to hear it. Because if they were so good, they were close to God. They were so good that they would be the ones that would hear it. The funny thing is, is they were standing there talking to God, and they missed it. So that, that's kind of a funny thing in, in it all. But as these Pharisees... Um, interacted with Jesus throughout scriptures, we saw that they really didn't like it. They really had a hard time connecting with him. They didn't like it because he didn't follow their traditions. They didn't like him because he didn't do what they had asked. They didn't follow all the rules that were lined up, the 600 and some odd rules that were lined up that were there. And as we see it, Jesus was kind of, well, stepping on some toes here and there. And he also was starting to gain this following of people who also didn't really like the Pharisees because the Pharisees were all about, hey, you need to follow this specific rule. You need to do this specific thing in order to have anything, in order to be able to be in right standing with God. But there was this tiny little group of Pharisees that they met Jesus, they saw Jesus, they saw all the things he was doing, 
And they, they questioned. They said, well, maybe, maybe he is who he claims to be. Maybe he is something that's a little bit different. I mean, he's doing all these miracles, and these, these guys are maybe thinking, well, he might just be that Messiah. They've all studied the Old Testament. They know the Old Testament forwards and backwards. They know there's a Messiah coming. And yet, some of them are like, mm, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Who knows? How is this? And this small group was kind of there, and there was two guys that are really kind of pointed out in the small group. One's named Nicodemus. The other guy's name is Joseph. And these guys were the ones, excuse me, Anyways, I'll edit that out online. Um, the, uh, the whole thing is, is, is Nicodemus and Joseph were in this small group, and they're mentioned throughout Scripture, and we'll see them even as we go more chronologically through the Scriptures. And we'll see it in this little breakaway group, and they have these questions. But as they have these questions, they kind of got together and said, really, we have one very important question that we want to have answered. One very important question we want to ask Jesus and make sure that this is who he says he is. And they all got together, I think. And, and this is, you know, it's not in the scripture, but I, I assume they're, they're human beings just like we are. They're, they're real people just like we are. And they, they got together in a group. They said, hey, we're curious about this Jesus guy. We don't want anybody else to know that we're curious about this Jesus guy. Because if anybody else knows we're curious about this Jesus guy, it's going to be an issue. The, these guys who are against Jesus, they're, gonna be, uh, they're not going to like us. So let's do it at night. Let's do it kind of in the dark. We'll, we'll get together. We'll figure it out. We'll, and we're going to send one of you guys, one of us in here. We're going to draw straws. Who knows? We're going we're to cast lots. We're going we're gonna to take bets. Whoever lost the bet had to go talk to Jesus. I don't know. But they, they send Nicodemus. And as they send Nicodemus, they say, we want you to go track down this guy. If you get caught by the other Pharisees, we don't know. We're, we're going to not even act like we know who you are. We're going to send you out to talk to Jesus, and you're going to ask him these questions. So what I want to do is I want to take a little closer look at this passage we just read. Because sometimes we'll read a passage and we'll, we'll forget the timing of it. We'll forget that there's real people involved. And we'll just read it as if we're reading it. And then we'll go down to John 3.16 and then we'll forget all the stuff we just read. Because John 3.16 is a verse that we all remember. So what I want to do is I want to take a closer look at this. So get your Bibles back open to John chapter 3, verse 1. Once again, the beauty of having a smaller stage. John chapter 3, verse 1. It says... Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. When we take a look at that, this guy was a popular guy, and he had a lot of authority. He had a lot of authority. He was like a senator. He had a lot of influence in the community. And so this is the guy that is coming to Jesus. Think about that for just a second. Think about the, the pride issue that would keep people from coming to Jesus because of their proper standing. Because they're worried about what might, somebody else might think. This guy has a lot of influence. So when does he go? It says he came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night. And as he comes to Jesus at night, it's obviously under the veil of darkness. He doesn't want anybody else to kind of see what's going on here. But he says this. He says, Rabbi, we. I want you to see that word. When it says we, it doesn't mean 
I. He doesn't want it to be associated with us. He wants to say, there's a group of us. There's a group of us that have been watching you. There's a group of us that have been paying attention to what you're doing. We've seen the things you're doing. And I'm here to request a question of a we. And he said, there's a lot of questions that we have. And it says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Now, we don't know your relationship to God, but we know you've come from God because you're doing all these crazy miracles. It says, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So this is kind of a preface. He's kind of laying out, uh, maybe you've had this. When, when you're a little bit nervous to ask a question, when you're a little bit nervous to approach somebody about something that, that maybe you, you have to deal with in some way, you, you want to talk to them, but you kind of lay out all the preface work. Just, just keep it real simple, real easy. Kind of make it there before you jump into the, the heavy question because you don't want to just jump right in and hit the question. So he's prefacing all this stuff, saying, hey, you know, we, we've watched you, we've seen you, we've seen all the things you've been doing. And Nicodemus finally gets to the question. And you can imagine this. Okay, he, like I said, he's a guy just like we are. And he probably took that deep breath and went, all right, here comes the question. Here's the, uh, we want to ask this question. We want to see what Jesus is going to answer because we'll see kind of where he's at this standing. And as this is start going through, Jesus does this weird thing that we'll see throughout scriptures. He does this weird thing. And that weird thing is, is he answers the question before it ever gets asked. How many of you are parents and you know when your kids come up and they're beating around the bush and they're jabbering on about something that doesn't really matter, and all of a sudden they go, you know the, and you say no. Because you know what they're trying to do and you're trying, they're trying to get it all up and going. And that's exactly what Jesus does because Jesus, just like you know the hearts of your kids, Jesus knows the hearts of men. And he knew what was about to come and Jesus throws out an answer. And I can imagine that, that there was probably some s- sort of shock that came across Nicodemus because my guess is he sat around with all these scholarly guys, all these really well-educated Pharisees, and they probably crafted the perfect question. They probably knew exactly how it was going to work, exactly how it was going to all come out. And we see the Pharisees do it a number of times that they craft the perfect question, and Jesus still comes around and, and gets them for, for trying to get him stuck. And instead of that, Jesus jumps out before Nicodemus could say anything, and this is what he says in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, there was never a question about it, but I bet Nicodemus probably stopped for two seconds and went, how did he know? How did he know that was going to be my question? How did he know that my question was the same thing that the Pharisees asked, the same thing that the Sadducees asked, the same thing that people throughout history, including you and me, have asked? How do we have right standing with God? How do we know, how do we have assurance that God and me are good? How do we know that when I die, that I am going to go to heaven? How do I know that? Some of you maybe have taken uh, some sort of evangelism training before. You know, churches will do evangelism training so that you can teach you how to share your faith. And the one that I went through is called Evangelism Explosion. And one of the questions, the first two questions you're supposed to ask is, if you were to die today and stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you say? That is a question that everybody has to go through their mind. And normally the answer is, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. I've only broken a couple of the Ten Commandments, and even those, those were just slight little breaks. They weren't even full breaks. They were more bends. You know, it's, it, that's the answers that you get because I've been a good person. And Jesus says, hey, it's not about how good you are. You've got to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Nicodemus. He's talking to a guy whose whole life is about being good. And he says, 
it's not about how good you are. It's about how good I am and how the fact that you have to be born again. And he's going to explain a little bit more of that. And I can only imagine that Nicodemus' face was like, wait a second, my whole, whole life has been devoted to Jewish teaching, Jewish law, Jewish memorization, memorization of the Old Testament, everything that you could possibly imagine, everything that could possibly go through my head, everything is right here. Now, you're saying that's, none of that stuff is any good. None of that stuff is going to give me right standing with God. Is that basically what you're saying? So I would be willing to bet, you know, just like any conversation, like I said, that we get into, you have a scripted way it's going to work. You, you've worked out the, the issues already because you've had the conversation and answer for the other person in your head, back and forth and back and forth. Maybe I'm alone, okay? But I've done that plenty of times where I'll be driving and I'll get really excited. I'll get really mad because I'm fighting with the person in my head and they're not even in the car to fight back. I'm, I'm giving them words to say, you know, those kind of things. And now everything's off the table. When Jesus answers the question, I think Nicodemus went, oh, wait a second. Wait, did you say born again? And I think he got this smile on his face because we read this verse, this next verse, verse four, really seriously. But I think, I think in his mind, Everything kind of changed just a little bit, and he kind of rolled his eyes and went, wait a second. How can someone be born again when they're old? And just got that little smirk on his face. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Surely they can't enter into their mother's womb and say, okay, first of all, he's probably smiling because that's just a gross thought. All right, and, and, and mothers in the room all of us went, yeah, there's no way I'm doing that again. Okay, that is, that is it. And, and I think he, they're going back and forth and they're having some fun, but in all seriousness, what Nicodemus is saying is how in the world can I have assurance? How can I know for sure that I am going to heaven? How can I know that I am in good standing with the God who created us? How can I know that I have a place and I can be a part of the kingdom of God? And Jesus continues with him and says, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. And that, this, you're talking with Jesus and he's saying things like that. And Nicodemus is this really smart guy. And I can imagine he's just going, what are you talking about? What is that? So Jesus goes on in verse 6. And he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Let's just make this really simple. And, and I, we got the kids in the room today. So what I would like to do is I'd like to ask you guys a question. When it says flesh gives birth to flesh, it means this. If two humans have a baby, what's that baby going to be? A human. If two lions, now kids, I need help. If two lions have a baby, what's that baby going to be? A lion. If two zebras have a baby, what's that baby going to be? A zebra. If it became out of draft, that might be a problem. But it might be one of those really cool things that you see at the zoo. But, um... The whole idea here that, that Jesus is trying to say, listen, if you have parents, flesh give birth to flesh. That's what happens. You are born this first time. But, but, uh, now that you understand that, Nicodemus, now that you understand that two lions make a lion instead of anything else, now that you've got that, you know, he's, uh, maybe he's mocking him just a little bit here. He says, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Because God is the spirit. God is the spirit. And God plays a huge role in us being born again. It's not about what we have. It's a spiritual birth. It's nothing that we can do. 
because the spirit gives birth to the spirit. Now, Nicodemus, like I said, he, he's, his whole view of God, his whole life, and I used this illustration last night because I couldn't think of a better one. His whole thing is, is that God is Santa Claus. His whole thing is that as long as I, as long as I do good things and I'm not on the naughty list, I'm going to get what I need. I'm going to get the presents I want. I'm going to, as long as you better not pout, you better not cry, you better not shout, I'm telling you why. It's because, you know, it's that whole thing. That was his whole existence. His whole existence was not to do wrong, but only to do right. Not to misbehave, but to behave. And this whole idea of God being a, a principal, a, a coach, a, uh, something that as long as I do good, he'll let me keep doing it, and he'll, he'll, we'll have this right assurance. It's not about that. that it's our, our behavior doesn't determine our standing with God. And he goes on, and, and Jesus says, listen, Nicodemus, you have to understand, that's not it. Even though you're a really, really good man, and you show a great front on the outside. It's about believing. It's about being born again. And, and he says, you know, when you are born again, when you are born of God, it's just like when you're born in your family. You, nobody's ever going to undo you from your family. Your physical parents are your physical parents. And when you're born again, God is your spiritual parent. And that's just the way it is. Nobody can take that away from you. And it's a change that starts to take place. And he says, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. See, I think Jesus says, you, you need to understand, somehow you've missed in Scripture that there's this born again. Somehow you've missed it. You should not be surprised. And then Jesus goes on, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Nick's like, what? What, 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 what are you talking about the wind for? What does this, what does this have anything to do with? What, what is that even? He says, how can this be in verse 9? And basically saying, Jesus, I hang around with smart guys all the time. That's my job. We just hang around and we're smart. We read and we quiz each other and I pass the quiz and they pass the quiz. And now you're throwing out something here that is completely something that we've all missed. What is it that you are trying to say? What is it that you're trying to say? So I've tried to be obedient. I've tried to do the things that I need to do. And now you're saying that's worthless? And now you're even saying that it's not nearly as complicated as we've made it out to be with the 600-plus rules that we've laid out there. Instead, it's just about being born again. That's just so, so simple. So, so simple. And then Jesus goes on in verse 13. He says, no one has ever gone into heaven, to which I think Nicodemus was probably thinking, well, that's the problem. If somebody had and gone to heaven and come back, Man, it would have been great because we could have had all these questions answered. They could have went to heaven. They could have talked to God, said, okay, these are the things I had to do. These are the things that you didn't have to worry so much about. Go back and pass out lists to everybody and say, these are the things you have to do if you want to get into heaven. And instead, Jesus says, no one's gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And all of a sudden, Jesus throws out something there, I think, that made Nicodemus feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He was one of the ones that looked from the outside, and he thought, well, maybe this might be the Messiah, but all of a sudden Jesus lays it out. He says, I am the Son of Man. I am God's Messiah. I'm the one that is here. I am God. I am standing in front of you, and we are talking, and we're having a conversation. And all of a sudden, Nicodemus got, ooh, but if that's the 
man, this could really pr- turn out bad for me. If I start following this guy, this, this could not go very well. And as we see, it didn't go very well for Jesus, at least in, in human standards. It exactly went to God's plan, but some things happened. And I think he started to s- figure this out, and he's like, I don't quite get it. And that's why he goes into 14. I think Jesus, because he knows the hearts of men, he knew there was questions going on. He saw, he looked in his eyes, and he said, all right, let me tell you something that I know that you know. Because I know that you know the Old Testament. So he says this in verse 14. Just as Moses. Just as Moses. All of a sudden he goes, here's a parallel. Here's something for you to understand. You know the Old Testament. You know everything. Now most of you in here, if I say just as Moses, most of you think, okay, yeah, the Prince of Egypt. I've seen that cartoon movie. Or I've seen Ten Commandments. Or whatever it might be. You kind of roll through all those. You say, I know a little bit about Moses. Nicodemus, his job was to know everything about Moses. So when he said just as Moses, boom, lights came on. And he went, okay, where are we going with this? He said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. And as he said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, we kind of see, okay, that's probably somewhere in the Old Testament, probably somewhere in Exodus or Leviticus, Leviticus or Numbers or something like that. Nicodemus knew exactly where it was at because he knew the story. He knew it inside and out. He knew exactly what was going on. And what happened was, is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever came, Moses had led the people out of Egypt. And as he led the people out of Egypt, they were hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And they would camp. And they would go and they would camp as they wandered in the wilderness. And one of the places they stopped to camp happened to have snakes that came out of the ground at night. And they didn't know it. And they set up their tents and they pulled out their campfires and they pulled out their banjos and they had a good old-fashioned fun time. And as they got done with all their stuff and they started to go in, they started realizing all these snakes were coming up out of the ground. And these were poisonous, venomous snakes. They were in their sleeping bags and in their food bowls and in everything. And they were biting babies and children and men and women. It didn't matter who it was. And as these people were getting bit, they were getting sick and they were dying. And they said, Moses, what can we do? And Moses said, I don't know. I'm going to go to God. I'm going to ask him a question. And what happens was, is in Numbers chapter 21, verse 8, it says, The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So going back to what Jesus said, when Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the snake, he knew exactly what he was talking about. That there was going to be something that needed to be lifted up so life could happen. So salvation could happen. Now, let me ask you a question. I've never been bit by a snake. I've encountered many rattlesnakes, but I've never been bit. I've seen people that have been bit. But if anybody were ever bit by a snake and I walked up to him and said, hey, I got an idea. I got a bronze snake. I'm going to throw it up on a pole. All I want you to do is look at it, and you're going to be fine. Do you think anybody's going to believe me? Probably not. So this is what the Lord says to Moses And people are getting bit, and they're wanting to live. They know they've seen other people dying around them. They're wanting to live. And so maybe desperate times called for desperate measures, whatever it might be. But all they had to do was believe. All they had to do was believe that that was what was going to save them. So when Jesus says, just as that snake was lifted up and the people of Israel believed, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Everyone who believes, verse 15, that everyone who believes, not everyone who behaves, because I'm sure that's exactly what Nicodemus was thinking. Everyone who behaves, no, everyone who believes that the Son of Man who is lifted up, you know, in in a few years, he is going to be lifted up. And he is going to be the salvation for the snake bite that we got from way back in Adam and Eve. He's going to be the salvation. He's going to be the one for everyone who believes. 
And it says that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, depending upon the commentary you read, and I'm not sure if you sit around and read commentaries or not, but that's basically a a book that kind of explains verses of the Bible from different people's perspectives. And a lot of the commentaries I read say that right here is where Nicodemus leaves. So in verse 15, verse 16 is, is kind of what uh, either Jesus and Nicodemus are talking, depending on what, which commentary you look at, or it's just John kind of overlooking the whole situation. We're going to talk about that more next week. And we're going to talk about that more over the next couple of weeks, actually. But this is where Nicodemus leaves. And I want you to imagine, he's got to go back and he's got to give a report to his posse, if you will, his whole crew of the, the sub-Pharisees, the ones that are, oh, maybe this Jesus thing's all right. And he has to go and he has to say, Remember that question we were asking, how do we know we have right standing with God? The answer is we have to be born again. And some people might be like, what? And Nicodemus is going to be like, yeah, I don't know either. But it kind of goes along the lines of that whole idea of, of the snake being lifted up. And he has to explain all this stuff. And as he goes, and I'm sure he had some difficulty understanding, the worst thing for him was is he didn't have the rest of the New Testament to help us understand. Because maybe you're in here thinking the same thing. No, no, no. See, I grew up my whole life knowing I had to be good, knowing that as long as I had a scale of good things that outweighed the bad things, I'm going to be okay with God. And hopefully, by the time I get done, I'll know what good things and bad things there were. See, the Pharisees didn't have the rest of the New Testament. They didn't have the letters that Paul wrote to the other churches. Like when he writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Like I said, I, I'm going to do some things with the kids. Any kids ever seen this book before? Any parents ever seen this one? It's called The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Um, this is one of the books I used to love reading to the kids. And um, we actually got rid of it, and I'm glad we got a new one because I'm looking forward to, to reading it too in Dolly when he gets here and, um, the first version we picked up was Spanish, so we had to pick up the English version because I couldn't read the Spanish one. But um, so, but you guys remember the story, what the whole story was? I'm sure that the kids probably remember it because they probably have it. There's, there's a very hungry caterpillar, and he, the caterpillars aren't attractive. They're not, they're not beautiful by any stretch. They're fuzzy worms. And I can't say, unless you're a fish, that anything that's fuzzy and wormy is uh, attractive at all. And um, the, uh, the whole idea is, is that, that he goes and he eats and he eats and he eats and he eats and he builds himself a cocoon. Now, when he builds himself that cocoon and he's in there for two weeks, as the story tells us, it doesn't say that while he's in that cocoon, he rolled around some paint to make his body look better and strapped on some wings and and painted those up so he looked like a a, a pretty overdone worm, right? That's not what happens, right? It becomes a completely new creation. In the very last page, if you remember, anybody remember what it says? And it became a beautiful butterfly it was a complete change it wasn't some some little behind the scenes thing it wasn't him working on his outside to make himself look better it was a complete change a new creation and that is this most simple way for us to understand what god has done that he has taken our old ways and he has squeezed them out and he has washed them clean and we are now a whole new creation we're not the same as we were we're not the worm that we were we are now a beautiful butterfly and that is something I think Nicodemus had a hard time with, and that is something I think each of us have a hard time with. Because at some point in time in our life, we were told, well, if you want to go to heaven, you have to be good. You have to do this. And that's not what God ever said. He said, you have to rely on my grace if you have to do anything. You have to believe that I am the one that was lifted up and died for your salvation. That is what it's about. There's two things I want you to walk away with here. 
two things. And the first thing is this. Being born again is not about human efforts. Being born again is not about human effort. As much as we want to try, as much as we want to do, as much as we want to go out there and try and try and try, it's not about human efforts. Because if it were, Nicodemus was in. Nicodemus, he deserved it. He'd earned it. If there was a way to earn it, he had done it. He'd devoted his entire life, not just Sunday mornings, not just Saturday nights, not just Wednesday nights and all the things in between. It was every day was God time. Every day was studying scripture. Every day was putting on a good front to make everybody think that he was really, really good. But it's not about that. His position wasn't going to save him. His position in the, in the, in the, in the Pharisees' realm, you know, he was a higher up. He was on the ruling council. That's not going to save him. His popularity, everybody knew him, and everybody knew he was good. That wasn't going to save him. His reputation, his reputation of being good, not going to save him. And his religiousness, not going to save him. How many times have those four things fallen into what we think is going to save us? The second thing is, is this being born again is about a personal relationship. It's about a personal relationship. New birth is about spiritual birth. New birth is about being born again and born again from above. It's new birth is, is a sovereign birth as well, which means it comes from God. God is the orchestrator of it all. You know, there are so many things. When, when Jesus talks about that thing with the wind and Nicodemus, kind of like, what are you talking about the wind for? Why are you talking about the wind blowing this way and that way? It doesn't make any sense. What he's trying to say is, is that we don't have control over that. God has control over that, but people can feel the effects of the wind. People can see the effects of the wind. Just like when God comes into our life, People can feel that come off of us. They can see the changes that take place in us, and they can see that what we do is through God and not through ourselves. That's what he's talking about. And new birth is also a supernatural act. It's something that, that it's all a heavenly matter. There's nothing that we can put in a test tube and test it and say, yep, it looks like that's happened. Okay, we, we've got scientific proof of, of rebirth. That's not it at all. Transformation is happening from the inside out, and God is the one doing it. And the thing is, it happens through a Savior. It happens through a Savior. It's all about a relationship with God. Nicodemus' big thing was, is how can I be in right standing with God? How can a sinful man be in right standing with a holy God? It's not possible without something coming in between, without something washing this sinful man clean. And that is exactly what Jesus did. That is exactly the reason why he died on the cross. That is exactly the reason why it is. Because God saw us in our sinful hopelessness and he provided a way for us to get out. And it wasn't by, here's a list of things you can do so you can dig yourself out of the hole. Instead, it was, here's my son, and he'll pull you out of that hole. And he'll clean you up. And he'll make you able to stand in my presence. And that's what it's all about. It's initiated by God. And, you know, we're going to talk about that even over the next couple of weeks as we look at John 3.16, John 3.17, and really break down those verses. But I didn't want to skip over this because I think so many people have questions. So many people look and say, how do I have right standing with God? And no matter how much they understand mentally of the idea of being born again, they still think it's about how good we have to be. And God says, no, it's not about you. It's about me and what I've done. It's not about you and what you're trying to do. Remember that. As we close in prayer, maybe God's kind of speaking to you. Maybe you're thinking, well, my whole life I've grown up. The, the, the specific church I went to said, no, no, you have to be good and you have to do this and you have to do this in order to be in right standing with God. I'd love to talk to you. Now, normally I would go stand back in the back, but there's not really a back in here. So I'm going to go stand over here. 
okay? And uh, I'm gonna, if, if you'd like to come and pray with me, I would love to pray with you over here and have a chance to talk to you about that. And as the band comes and sings, we'll, we'll sing a couple more songs, and, uh, and we'll be done this morning. I know some of you are probably looking up at the clock going, wait a second, it started at 9, it's not 10 yet, and you're already done talking? I know, I know. The people last night were blown away. So, um, uh, but... But I, I'm excited. I'm excited about what God's going to do. And like I said, I'm excited maybe in what he's doing this morning. As, as you're battling with, am I good enough? And I think it boils down to no, you're not good enough. But Jesus, he was. And he took our place. And he washed us clean. So I'm going to step over here, like I said, and pray. And I'm going to ask the band to, to come up as I, as I close in prayer. Father, we are thankful for who you are once again. We're thankful for your love for us and the fact that you would send your only son, so that we could have eternal life. That it was a gift. It wasn't something that we earned. It wasn't something that we deserved. It wasn't something that we could brag about. But it was a gift. And God, as we look at that gift, as we look at it right in front of us, help us remember that there's nothing that we can do to, to bargain. There's nothing that we could do to say, hey, look how good I've been. But instead, God, look at what you've done and praise you and give you the glory for it. Pray it all in your name. Amen.